This morning's text of Scripture comes to us from the Gospel of Luke, the 10th chapter. It is a familiar text of Scripture. It is the story, the parable of the Good Samaritan. I invite you to listen for God's Word as it comes to us from the Gospel of Luke. Well, just then a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life. Well, Jesus said to him, what is written in the law? What do you read there? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have given the right answer. Do this and you will live. But wanting To justify himself, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him pass by on the other side. But a Samaritan, while traveling, came near him, and when he saw him, he was moved with pity. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, having poured oil and wine on them. And then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him, and when I come back, I'll repay you whatever more you spend. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And he said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you join me in prayer? Gracious and loving God, we come to you now at the end of a troubling week. And we come to receive what you alone can provide. So speak to us now as only a living God can. For we pray in the name of Jesus the Savior. Amen. I don't know how long our children in the Music and Discovery Choir were preparing that little piece too hot for their uh, time of leading us in worship, but it seems rather appropriate. The events of the past few weeks have frankly left me a little stunned. How about you? We live in a world where violence seems to be becoming more commonplace in our experience. This week I heard in the news that some of those at that bar in Thousand Oaks where 12 people were shot and killed by a deranged gunman were the very same people who survived the mass shooting in Las Vegas just a year ago. One newspaper article yesterday was entitled, Paradise Lost. 
referring to the town of Paradise, California, consumed by the fire north of Sacramento. But I can't help but feel this morning that somehow paradise is being lost in the face of all of this violence and the raging fires of our time. Some of those victims in Ventura County in and around Malibu speak of their experience as feeling like some kind of apocalypse is unfolding. And all of it leaves me a bit stunned as I look at their faces and I'm unsure of what to do and how to feel and somehow frightened and immobilized. Several weeks ago, following the shooting at that Tree of Life synagogue and community center in Squirrel Hill, Pennsylvania, outside of Pittsburgh, an opinion writer commented that Mr. Rogers lived just three blocks away from that synagogue when he was alive. It's a mystery in the lighting today, apparently. Um, Mr. Rogers just lived three blocks from that synagogue. The author of that opinion piece wrote, Jews and Gentiles alike ran toward the fire. As Beth Shalom's executive director told a reporter at the time, I didn't have to look. Everyone came to me. And the opinion writer wrote, that line put me in touch with one of my favorite Fred Rogers sayings. He used to say, when I was a boy, I would see scary things in the news, and my mother would say to me, look for the helpers. You'll always find people who are helping. That was Mr. Rogers' real-world neighborhood. And thank God that sometimes Jews and Gentiles alike run together towards the disasters, and thankfully, we see remarkable heroism and kindness in responses to the evil and the human suffering that we also have experienced. It reminds me of the woman who was filling out a questionnaire for a new employer one question asked, who should be contacted in case of emergency? She wrote down, the nearest human being. So here we come to this text of Scripture. And I can empathize with a young lawyer who's dressed for success, who steps out of the crowd around Jesus with a question. He lives in a success-driven world of justification by performance and achievement. Getting ahead is the core value of the culture in which he lives. He knows the rules. He plays by them. He's a bottom-line kind of guy, and he wants to know what the takeaway is from this Jesus. How do I get a life? And Jesus says, okay, I'm interested. Go on. Well, he says, I know the rules about loving God and loving my neighbor, but I need to know one more thing. And with that, the whole crowd kind of leans in just a little to hear the response. 
just exactly who is my neighbor. He wants to get the clarification right, right down to the fine print. What legally constitutes a neighbor? He wants something that will actually stand up in court. So Jesus begins telling him of a random act of violence. We don't know the man's name who was beaten and stripped and left for dead in the ditch. He's one of the many anonymous victims that we hear about on the evening news. I can almost hear him thinking to himself, why, why me, Lord? What did I ever do to deserve this? They took everything I have. And look at me. Look at this blood. If someone doesn't come soon, I could die here. Is this how my life is going to end? Beaten up, naked by the side of the road? What about my family? Who's going to look after them? What about my wife? She certainly doesn't deserve to become a widow. Dear God, why doesn't somebody come? I'm not sure how long I can hold out. I try to move my lips, but no sound comes out. Will anyone see or hear me? And even if they do, will they care enough? So by chance, this preacher comes walking down the road. Thank God, says the man in the ditch. He's going to stop and help me. He'll know what to do. But he acts like he doesn't even see him. He's not stopping. He doesn't even slow down. Jesus doesn't tell us why that preacher just went on. And we can think up a lot of reasons, I suppose, for why he did that. Jesus simply tells us another person comes down that road with the potential to make a difference. He's a Levite, someone who works in church bureaucracy. But he doesn't stop either. He just keeps walking. And then along comes someone else. He's not wearing a collar. He's got on a business suit. But he stops, thank God. Who is this guy? A good Samaritan. Now that's an oxymoron. Can anything good come from Samaria? That's an oxymoron, like jumbo shrimp. Or like being told to act naturally. Maybe you've heard the expression deafening silence. Or someone who's clearly confused. Well, Jesus seems to be clearly confused because we all know that people with this racial mix from Samaria, they're the problem. They're not the solution. See, good and Samaritan didn't always go together. 
the parable itself redefined those terms and it opened up a completely new avenue of thinking about what it means to be a neighbor to one another. You see, if Jesus had only described the man who fell among thieves as a Samaritan, then the parable would have left intact that racial and religious bigotry of the time. Why not the victim be the Samaritan? Why not use the Jew as a hero of the parable or as an example? But instead, Jesus uses the despised half-breed Samaritan in the story as the one to emulate. Listen to this biblical scholar's interpretation. If Jesus wanted to teach love of neighbor in distress, it would have sufficed to use the standard folkloric threesome and talk of one person, a second person, and a third person to make the point. If he wanted to do this and add a jibe against the clerical circles in Jerusalem, it would have been quite enough to have mentioned the priest, the Levite, and then let the third person be a Jewish layperson. Most importantly, if he wanted to inculcate love of one's enemies, it would have been radical enough to have a Jewish person stop and assist a wounded Samaritan. The whole thrust of the story demands that one say what cannot be said. What is a contradiction in terms? Good plus Samaritan. A whole world is being challenged. And there's a, the, the listener is faced with a polar reversal. The hearer's world is turned upside down, radically questioned in its presuppositions. The metaphorical point is, just, is that just so does the kingdom of God break abruptly into human consciousness. And it demands the overturn of prior values and closed options and set judgments and established conclusions. End quote. You see, the text doesn't really address the issues of violence in society or the problems that persist on the road from Jerusalem to Jericho. There's no mention of the persistent crime problem in the area or the difficulty of policing along that road or the challenges of poverty that lead to criminal activity. What we have is simply a story about mercy extended in the face of a random act of violence. And it has a way of challenging all our values and closed options and set judgments and established conclusions. In this report, we see something of the essential plight of every person on earth. Because other people simply pass by. Have you ever noticed that when somebody gets downsized in their job, they get fired from their job, people tend to avoid him or her? 
as if they have some kind of a communicable disease. People just don't want to catch whatever it is that other person has. It's kind of a powerful, irrational fear that's all the more powerful because it's irrational. We get a little whiff of that in this report of Jesus when people pass by this man in need. It's been said two sociologists were walking down that road and they see the man lying on the curb covered with cuts and bruises and a terrible mugging that he's experienced. And one of the sociologists turns to the other one and says, you know, whoever did this terrible deed really needs our help. At the heart of this report about the Good Samaritan, we catch a glimpse of the plight of all of us. This is a report of my life and your life. We're all needy people. Some of us have health needs. Some of us have money needs. All of us have needs in our souls. This isn't about stopping the car every time I see someone hold up a sign, we'll work for food. It's about you and me and the people we work with and the teenagers on that confirmation retreat this weekend and the widow here who's still grieving and the man who walked into the church with a limp. All of us have a part that's bruised and bleeding and battered. Everyone has pain in their family life. And we all need more than transactional relationships to make a life. We need to reach across the divides. We need to care about more than ourselves and those in our family. We need to think differently about others. We need to define differently who we see as our neighbors. What we have here is not a psychologist, it's not a philosopher, it's not a sociologist. What we have in this Samaritan is somebody who's a knee-jerk activist. He stops, he goes, he binds, he cares, he gives. And he refuses to bow to the power that has beaten up this poor guy. Now you and I, we expect to be the ones providing and caring for the world's broken and forgotten ones. We don't expect to be the recipients. But sometimes help comes from the most unexpected places and people. Sometimes our ways of organizing the world and our methods of dismissing others as of no concern, no requirement on our part, our values don't need to be overturned, our set judgments, our established conclusions, they don't need a little reworking to line up with God's coming reign. Who is my neighbor? asks the lawyer. 
And the officials of the law at that time had made obeying God so difficult, no one could understand how to do it. But Jesus makes it so simple that even a child could comprehend how to serve faithfully. So the Lord shifts the focus away from deliberation to action. From the way to think about it to the way to be, a way to behave. And sometimes it's true. We're better off acting our way into a new way of thinking rather than thinking our way into a new way of acting. So Jesus has the lawyer answer his own question. True neighborliness doesn't look for boundaries. The limits of who we have to be kind to, who we have to be generous towards. True neighborliness looks for opportunities to act. So who is on the roadside in your life this morning? What questions do you come with this morning in your heart that you are hoping the Lord might answer? It's clear from this parable that religion that passes by on the other side is not faith. And I wonder how we can respond to those in need around us and they seem to be growing in number. I know our mission committee here at the church will be thinking about that and I will be thinking about that both as an individual and as a pastor of our church. I'll be pondering how we might respond to the needs of those around us. Maybe those churches on the front line in Ventura County and in Malibu, maybe we can resource them in some important ways. I don't know yet. I do know we are called to love the Lord our God with all our heart and soul and strength and mind and to love our neighbors as ourselves. And who's our neighbor? Quite simply, the ones who are near us. Near enough that we're able to offer assistance personally. Near enough that we might be able to help practically. Someone once said, half-hearted relief creates half the misery that it relieves, and it cannot relieve half of the misery it creates. The law of unintended consequences, I guess. So a good question to ask ourselves whenever we're helping others and assisting them is whose needs are being met? Are we simply trying to feel better ourselves, like the lawyer in the parable, trying to justify ourselves by our philanthropic involvement? Or do we really care and do we really have the welfare of others clearly in the forefront of our thinking and our acting? It makes a difference. Who's my neighbor? Well, the one near you whose needs you can do something about practically and personally. You know, for years, some 16 plus years, 
one of those who worshipped in the back of our sanctuary, a retired Presbyterian minister, Ralph Hamburger. He lives at Monta Vista Grove with his wife Mary until his death in September. His daughter, Rachel, is also a Presbyterian minister. Ralph was born in Germany in 1923, the son of a Jewish father. They saw the handwriting on the wall in the 20s and early 30s, and in 1932, with his brother and his parents, Ralph moved to Holland to escape what was happening in Germany. They lived in The Hague, but the Nazis came there in 1940. Ralph, as a young man, worked in the Dutch resistance, helping people evade the Nazis, hiding people in safe houses. Following the end of the war, he lived in refugee camps until he immigrated to the United States in 1948 and became involved in the ministries of the Hollywood Presbyterian Church. And from there, he began to organize groups to travel back to Germany and Austria to help with the Reconstruction. It became a major effort. 1958, he graduated from Princeton Seminary, and years later, he went on the staff of World Vision. And when his daughter, Rachel, was graduating from Princeton Seminary in 1992, he wrote to her about his decision to go back to Europe with World Vision to work behind the Iron Curtain as a peacemaker with churches there. He wrote, quote, There were people there in need, people who were in a prison world, people who needed encouragement and some ray of hope. I simply ministered using the gifts, experiences, and wisdom that God had granted me so far. I had no concern for myself, whether I would be recognized as a leader or whatever have you. My passion was to love, to serve, assist, and encourage the people. They might be bishops of denominations. They could just as well be doorkeepers of the house of the Lord. Both needed love and affirmation. Both were important to the Lord of the church. And really, all I did with the Lord's help were simple acts of love and encouragement. Nothing spectacular, but consistently. And having been blessed with suffering in a turbulent past, I was able to put myself in the person's shoes and reflect on the words of our Lord in everything, do to others as you would have them do unto you. And then he went on, All the while I sought to be as genuinely in Christ as I knew how. Sometimes in the limelight of necessity, but most generally I was able to work quietly and without notice. I gloried in that. Because whatever I was able to accomplish was because of the Lord. He had given the gifts. 
He was giving the strength and resources. He had prepared the field. I was merely and gladly a channel. And I was content to be just that. End quote. So on this, the 100th anniversary of the armistice that led to the peace finally at the end of World War I, and as we listen to the parable of the Good Samaritan this morning, perhaps we can learn from those who've seen the worst kind of devastation witnessed in the last century. And perhaps we can learn how to build lasting peace in this century. Small acts of mercy and kindness. Being content to be a channel of Christ's, working quietly and without notice, realizing it, or all, all of it comes from Him. So just remember, the parable of the Good Samaritan, death is not the end of the story, life is. Evil does not have the final word. What is real does violence and destruction have the last word in our world? Or is life let loose? When we allow Christ to live in us, what is real? The third man stops and cares. It's a free, untethered expression of life. A deep unwillingness to let death have the last word in the story. You see, it makes a difference how you read reality. And it makes a difference how you write yourself into the story of what's going on for the world. So don't be in a hurry to walk by. You can make a world of difference. Thanks be to God. Amen.